Section twenty nine of Fancies versus Fads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fancies versus Fads by G. K. Chesterton. Section twenty nine Strikes and the Spirit of Wonder. There is a story which pleases me so much that I feel sure I have repeated it in print about an alleged and perhaps legendary lady secretary of madame blatovatsky or mrs besant who was so much delighted with a new sofa or ottoman that she sat on it by preference when resting or reading her correspondence at last it moved slightly and she found it was a mahatma covered with his eastern robe and rigid in prayer or some more impersonal ecstasy that a lady secretary should have a seat any gentleman will approve that a mahatma should be sat on no christian will deny nevertheless there is another possible moral to the fable which is a reproach rather to the sitter than the seat it might be put as in a sort of vision or allegory by imagining that all our furniture really was made thus of living limbs instead of dead sticks suppose the legs of the table were literally legs the legs of slaves standing still suppose the arms of an armchair really were arms the arms of a patient domestic permanently held out like those of an old nurse waiting for a baby it would be calculated to make the luxurious occupant of the easy chair feel rather like a baby which might do him good suppose every sofa were like that of mrs besant's secretary simply made of a man they need not be made merely of theosophists or buddhists god forbid many of us would greatly prefer to trust ourselves to a moslem or turk this might with strict accuracy be called sitting on an ottoman i have even read i think of some oriental potentate who rejoiced in a name sounding like sofa it might even be hinted at that some of them might be christians but there is no reason of course why all of them should not be praying to sit on a man while he was praying would doubtless require some confidence it would also give a more literal version of the possession of a prie-dieu chair it would be easy to expand the extravagance into a vision of a whole house alive an architecture of arms and legs a temple of temples of the spirit the four walls might be made of men like the squares in military formation there is even perhaps a shadow of the fantasy in the popular phrases that compare the roof to the human head that name the chimney-pot hat after the chimney or lightly allude to all modern masculine headdresses as tiles but the only value of the vision as of most visions even the most topsy-turvy ones is a moral value it figures forth in emblem enigma the truth that we do treat merely as furniture a number of people who are at the very least livestock and the proof of it is that when they move we are startled like the secretary sitting on the praying man but perhaps it is we who should begin to pray in the current criticisms of the strikes there is a particular tone which affects me not as a matter of politics but rather of philosophy or even of poetry it is indeed the servile spirit expressed if not in its poetry at least in its rhetoric but it is a spirit i can honestly claim to have hated and done my best to hammer long before i ever heard of the servile state long before i ever dreamed of applying this test to strikes or indeed of applying it to any political question i felt it originally touching things at once elemental and everyday 
things like grass or daylight like stones or daisies but in the light of it at least i always rebelled against the trend or tone of which i speak it may roughly be described as the spirit of taking things for granted but indeed oddly enough the very form of this phrase rather misses its own meaning the spirit i mean strictly speaking does not take things for granted it takes them as if they had not been granted it takes them as if it held them by something more autocratic than a right by a cold and unconscious occupation as stiff as a privilege and as baseless as a caprice as a fact things generally are granted ultimately by god but often immediately by men but this type of man is so unconscious of what he has been given that he is almost unconscious of what he has got not realizing things as gifts he hardly realizes them as goods about the natural things with which i began this oblivion has only inward and spiritual and not outward and political effects if we forget the sun the sun will not forget us or rather he will not remember us to revenge himself by striking at us with a sunstroke the stars will not go on strike or extinguish the illumination of the universe as the electricians would extinguish the illumination of the city and so while we repeat that there is a special providence in a falling star we can ignore it in a fixed star but when we at once ignore and assume thousands of thinking brooding free lonely and capricious human creatures they will remind us that we can no more order souls than we can order stars this primary duty of doubt and wonder has nothing to do with the rights or wrongs of special industrial quarrels the workmen might be quite wrong to go on strike and we should still be much more wrong in never expecting them to go on strike ultimately it is a mystical but most necessary mood of astonishment at everything outside one's own soul even one's own body it may even involve a wild vision in which one's own boots on one's own feet seem to be things distant and unfamiliar and if this sound a shade fantastic it is far less fantastic than the opposite extreme the state of the man who feels as if he owned not only his feet but hundreds of other human feet like a huge centipede or as if he were a universal octopus and all rails tubes and tram lines were his own tentacles the nerves of his own body or the circulation of his own blood that is a much worse nightmare and at this moment a much commoner one tennyson struck a true note of the nineteenth century when he talked about the fairy tales of science and the long result of time the victorians had a very real and even childlike wonder at things like the steam engine or the telephone considered as toys unfortunately the long result of time on the fairy tales of science has been to extend the science and lessen the fairy tale that is the sense of the fairy tale take for example the current state of the tubes suppose that at an age of innocence you had met a strange man who had promised to drive you by the force of the lightning through the bowels of the earth suppose he had offered in a friendly way to throw you from one end of london to the other not only like a thunderbolt but by the same force as a thunderbolt or if we picture it a pneumatic and not an electric railway suppose he gaily promised to blow you through a pea-shooter to the other side of london bridge 
suppose he indicated all these fascinating opportunities by pointing to a hole in the ground and telling you he would take you there in a sort of flying or falling room i hope you would have agreed that there was a special providence in a falling room but whether or no you could call it providential you would agree to call it special you would at least think that the strange man was a very strange man you would perhaps call him a very strange and special liar if he merely undertook to do it you might even call him a magician if he did do it but the point is this that you would not call him a bolshevik merely because he did not do it you would think it a wonderful thing that it should be done at all passing in that swift car through those secret caverns you would feel yourself whirled away like cinderella carried off in the coach that had once been a pumpkin but though such things happened in every fairy tale they were not expected in any fairy tale nobody turned on the fairies and complained that they were not working because they were not always working wonders the press in those parts did not break into big headlines of pumpkins held up no transformation scenes or wands won't work famine of coaches they did not announce with horror a strike of fairy godmothers they did not draw panic-stricken pictures of mobs of fairy godmothers meeting in parks and squares merely because the majority of pumpkins still continued to be pumpkins now i do not argue that we ought to treat every tube girl as our fairy godmother she might resent the familiarity especially the suggestion of anything so near to a grandmother but i do suggest that we should by a return to earlier sentiments realize that the tube servants are doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves something that is no part of our natural capacities or even of our natural rights it is not inevitable or in the nature of things that when we have walked as we can or want to somebody else should carry us further in a cart even for hire or that when we have wandered up a road and come to a river a total stranger should take us over in a boat even if we bribe him to do so if we would look at things in this plain white daylight of wonder that shines on all the roads of the fairy tales we come to see at last the simplest truth about the strikes which is utterly missed in all contemporary comments on them it is merely the fact that strikers are not doing something they are doing nothing if you mean that they should be made to do something say so and establish slavery but do not be muddled by the mere word strike into mixing it up with breaking a window or hitting a policeman on the nose do not be stunned by a metaphor there are no metaphors in fairy tales End of section twenty nine